Hello, Veronica. Oh, hello, Samuel. Hi. And hello, the world. <clears throat> the return. We're recording today on September 24th, 2017. The first day of Star Trek Discovery! There's a Star Trek on television again! We've really needed this! And it's come back to us in our hour of need. It's lit the beacon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, number one thing to say about this particular episode is... Here there be spoilers. So oh, if yeah. you have not watched the new Star Trek series, episodes one and two, you need to pause this and come back to it after you have, or accept that you will be spoiled. First, rest well in the knowledge that I predicted how Star Trek technology would interface if we were to revisit the original series timeline. Yes. Through the show of Highly Illogical which is prescient in its use of technology from a, a modernly imagined perspective in the original series era. And then once you have that knowledge, go watch this show and then come back. Because yes. it's, I, well, I won't tell you what we thought of it until you come back. So leave this place. Welcome back. Hi, welcome. <laughs> what did you think? Did you like it? Okay, so this is going to be controversial, I'm sure. I think that the first two episodes of Star Trek Discovery were better than the first episode of the latest season of Game of Thrones. And I'm talking about the one where Arya goes in and gets her sweet, sweet vengeance. Yeah, it was it was really good, it was wasn't it? It was very good, and I think that it is capturing... A, a feeling in television that does not exist wherein you are you don't have to be completely ingrained in the culture of star trek uh like you know i am a casual fan of star trek mm-hmm. you are a hyper fan of star trek mm-hmm. i feel like i enjoyed it just as much as you did um and it hit all of the major beats that i look for in a television series and it got me very emotional by like the beginning of episode two and very emotional by the end of episode it's two. It's a very powerful show. It's very. Really felt very emotional. It's it's so interesting. I think that Star Trek 2009, the movie, began to kind of thread a new Star Trek needle of saying, let's be true to this giant legacy, this five decade legacy piece of technology that represents a sort of special sort of hope that doesn't exist elsewhere on television and is kind of unique. But let's also keep it extremely accessible and distilled to a very um, reachable format at all time. Never let it get in the in the way of what it's trying to be and try to keep it the succinct, pure thing of what it is. So it kind of thread that needle very well. There was so much depth here as just being like legacy of trek stuff there was intense stuff if i were to tell someone things to watch to see what it's referencing i'd say watch whole seasons of star trek voyager for the relationship between captain Catherine janeway and seven of nine i'd say watch star trek three the search for spock for katra and spirituality i'd say watch every great klingon movie like star trek six that discovered country for political uh, depth with with klingon and everything but I'm, I'm saying it like it's a really weedsy show it wasn't it was always accessible always fun always adventurous and did that while kind of just having this whole legacy enriching every like random moment and random line i will say that you can probably start your star trek adventure with this series oh sure and not have to do any googling any ground oh yeah for sure i mean 
it lays out a foundation for you to understand um, who some very pivotal characters are in the original series yes. and beyond. I mean, it's going to go all the way through the most recent movies. Mm-hmm. So um, right. if I, you I, don't want to do that kind of you know background, you can certainly start with this and whet your appetite and then get on Google and figure and or follow Sam's recommendation. Thank you so much. What, what I was trying to say, I wasn't even trying to re- recommend mm-hmm. those. I was just trying to say if you were to do a archivist of last mm-hmm. 50 years television and see what they're referencing but you don't have to no you did in the past uh the onion used to make fun of the new star trek and say star trek fans hate the new show call it things like watchable accessible <laughs> stuff like that because <laughs> it used to be yeah you get this giant chart and you you make this map you're charlie with the with the billboard behind you yeah so i'm trying to say that there's this depth to it but that it's always accessible always in the moment and always just the the raw hope in the face of despair that kind of Star Trek represents. Yes. Throughout. Uh, very good. So, okay, I want to talk about um, two things that I have not enjoyed about Star Trek in the past. Uh-huh. Um, the one thing that I have not enjoyed about Star Trek, other than the new iteration of movies, is the, uh, the set design yeah. and the technology. And that is not anything against uh what it is these are all very old shows they're not i mean by the time i got around to watching star trek they were going to be dated and that's Mm a-okay um i'm sure that when someone watches star trek discovery in 30 years they're gonna be like ugh, gross i can't even feel it i can't smell it at all you know um but i loved the set design i loved how clean and simple it was um, one of my big cr- uh, criticisms of the next generation is how mauve everything is. Everything is pink and purple. Yeah. I do not like it at all. Every pajamas is something you could shimmy your shoulders and oh then fall out of a male God. or female. <laughs> yes. And Commander Riker's quarters. Oh boy. <laughs> you I, mean the sex palace? <laughs> yeah. I imagine that like anytime he went in, he was like listening to Katy Perry's teenage. Oh dream. yeah, for sure. <laughs> Feet up on the bed kind of like oh, going yeah. back and forth while he's just head in his hands. He has one of those pillows with like the emoji where you like, when you rub it up one way, it's just yeah. a smiley face. <laughs> and when you rub down on the sequins, it's a smiley face with the heart eyes. And we're led to believe as quarters are kind of life in the 24th century. I think he just wears a heat space blanket. Yeah. <laughs> that he got from his Boy Scouts troop. <laughs> he's never <laughs> let go. Because everything is shiny, shimmery. Everything is so shimmery. It reminds me of uh, sheets that my grandmother had for the longest time in the mid nineties. Uh-huh. But anyways, so if you're if you're perhaps if you're listening to this on the podcast feed because it's gonna be on both podcast and highly logical and you don't watch Star Trek, please please stick around. Uh, but what she we're talking about the second Star Trek there, the Next Generation, so eighties is when this set design was made, mm-hmm. and it feels eighties. But a lesson I think Star Trek is learning better and better is to design to be timeless and design yes. to be about what's important to it. And yes. when you watch kind of modern Trek or the best of Trek, it really exemplifies that. I'm speaking mm-hmm. to forever. I am not talking to 1988 when the set was being designed. I am speaking to a viewer who is going to eternally be thinking about something about human nature or, or about um, the audacity of hope. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I also really liked, and this isn't um, in set design, but in costume design, uh, absolutely loved all the boots on the females. 100% yep. cannot wait to buy a pair. Mm-hmm. They look very comfortable, and I, of course, loved the uniforms. I thought they were very good. Um, both the male and female um, uniforms were perfect. Nothing was particularly... Um, 
I guess, form-fitting or accentuated to make one gender look more male or female or dominant or subordinate to another. They were very equalizing uniforms, and I really appreciate that a lot. Um, Again, in The Next Generation, Deanna Troy doesn't get a legit uniform until much later in the series. I'm sorry if you can hear that. That's our new cat. The cat's name is Princess Princess Carolyn. She is a princess. She is. She's a diva. (laughs) Um, But in any event... I really liked the uniform choices Uh a lot. I love the colors. Ugh. Like, well, blue and gold. I mean, those are our wedding colors. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I really loved it. It was great. You're getting to an idea of storytelling through set design and through costuming. Mm -hmm. Because the the Federation has uniforms that tell a story. The Klingons have uh, uniforms that tell a, a different story. And that not quite uniforms, but just like maybe something from your house, colors that represent mm-hmm. who you are, and all of it is to kind of represent this battle. The, the Klingon uniforms look kind of almost like 1700s to me. In a, in a, yeah, they look for sure. Strangely, mm-hmm. kind of end of medieval, end of medieval Renaissance. Mm-hmm. In, in kind of I would way. say, yeah, I'd say that their uniforms in this particular, um, in this particular series, are very baroque, like just yes. Yes. needlessly ornate <laughs> yes but like supposed to be oh yeah the idea is you're 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 saying with this uniform i'm only showing a warrior thing but you're, mm-hmm. you're kind of not you're 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 being kind of you are a warrior but you are attached to your honor and your house and, and everything that has ever been important to anyone in your ancestry yeah. all in one yeah. outfit so if you can try and go into your closet and put that outfit together and it's jeans and a t-shirt, let me know. I'd love to know where you come from. <laughs> um, I think it starts with jeans and a t-shirt and it starts with a little more tears and chains. Yes, exactly. I'm not trying hard to try too hard, okay? <laughs> um, Every Klingon is just, gosh, dad, you don't get it. Jeez. Um, so, Veronica. Yes. You are a more casual Star Trek listener. I, yes. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very hardcore, lifelong Trekkie. I don't think you've ever really encountered Klingon Jesus in Kalos. No. And you've never encountered a deeply, um, well, you've encountered religious Klingons, but you've never mm-hmm. encountered a wear on the sleeve their identity devout Klingon. Yes. This before. was brand so new. So that aspect of Klingon lore was sort of new to you. Mm-hmm. What did you think of it and its depiction having been new? And then I've got a lot of thoughts to say on that because that was something that was really at the, at the core of this. Sure. So let me start by saying I have never enjoyed a Klingon storyline at all. Uh-huh. Um, simply because, yeah, and I did not understand this until tonight you, when we were watching. Like, the very early next gen episode, I think, called "A Matter of Honor," where Riker does the officer exchange with the Klingon ship. I like that, but mostly for Book the humor. Book of Riker, yeah, uh, and the Riker humor and its in its humor. Okay, gotcha. and it really turns um, everything that you hear and you see it on, on Klingons kind of on its ear a little bit. A little, sure, you know. Um, so I like that episode, but for a different reason. Uh-huh. One of the reasons that I disconnect with Klingons so much is that I feel like you're you're led to believe that this is a race that really separates themselves um, from every other race that you see. You know, it, I'm Klingon, the Federation, and that means something. Yeah, the Federation encounters many races, many cultures, and the Klingons are the only ones that are just like ugh, gross. Everyone else is disgusting. Yeah. But because of the limitations of the costuming in all of the other series, it always felt like this was not a this was not a race that was standing on its own. This was a human being 
forced into a costume and that the Klingon wasn't accurately portrayed because it looked too human I to see. me. And so tonight in tonight's episode, the Klingon is depicted in a in a way that I have never seen before, in a way that truly does set it apart as a completely different species. Mm-hmm. And I felt like um, the actors were able to really get into that. I loved that they all spoke Klingon very well, I would assume. I don't don't speak Klingon, but it all seemed very authentic. I really liked the way that um, uh, in in post-production, the way that they made the... um, the subtitles even where it would uh subtitle in the klingon text kind of and then boxy. Yeah. yeah switch over to english or whatever language you're watching this in uh-huh. um so i really i really like that a lot um i was very taken aback by the fact that there is a klingon messiah like yes oh my uh-huh. that was cray but it makes so much sense yeah. from from what i see of uh, Worf and all these other Klingons mm-hmm. and how dedicated they are to being Klingon and you know having that spirituality and that religious uh, point of view makes so much sense and I really enjoyed the depiction of the devout Klingon mm-hmm. so I really liked that a lot fantastic great mm-hmm. so the Klingons are portrayed in this one very strongly, and I think there's going to be a lot of Trekkies and Trekkers, both casual and severe, who are going to have a lot of opinions and attitudes about this. I would really encourage the listener to not let someone who is not trusting of this series take up the mantle of Trek, mm-hmm. or spoil your fun, because there's a lot of things that they do are very anathema to Klingons as we understand them. I think deliberately almost like, I'd say, sacrilege to like the Klingon spirituality that we've seen depicted in, in, in some ways. There's some ritualistic things that they do again and again that if you've ever gone into a Klingon spirituality storyline, you're going to be really feeling weird about seeing the way that it's depicted. The dead, the relationship to the dead was was going to be something that's going to be very bizarre. I'd really caution everyone to, to trust the show. Mm-hmm. I absolutely think that we are in a moment in time and the show is saying something. And I'm so interested to see what it's, what it's saying. Because Worf deals with dead bodies quite frequently. Worf is a character who we have for seven seasons of Next Gen, a lot of seasons after, several movies. Uh, and he's no stranger to war and conflict, perhaps more than any single individual that we kind of follow for years and years. Um, and he's got a very religious streak when it comes to dead bodies, and he is not like anything depicted here. They are a shell. You yell over the body in the way that it was depicted here, exactly, but then that is trash and that is refuse, and you are angry if this is your 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 friend's body, and somebody chooses to bury it, to put some symbolism on it, to do anything like that. You, you if, if you're war, let's say your, your family member has died in conflict, people want to make sure you're okay to take care of the body, you say, you don't fucking understand, that is trash now, and we gotta continue going for the memory, the memory is not associated with this decaying carcass that is not the, not the person they have. And I wonder so much if the, uh, if the intent of discovery is to set up the fall away from a former, um, you know, I guess like religious. Um, oh my gosh, I'm 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 at a loss for words here. Fundamentalism but... or um, mm. revival or. No, I think like so. I think that maybe if if that's how war. <coughs> 
deals Warf, with and we're dead... led to believe Klingon culture. Yeah, if that's how they deal with dead bodies in the future, uh-huh. perhaps there is going to be a catalyst point in Discovery, which kind of turns the way that they do that, and maybe it will explain why I absolutely they believe are that so, is the case. Yeah, I think that sometimes the the bad secret Trekkies is they can be like Poindexter encyclopedia nerds. You don't have earned your right to be. Be that and that that is obnoxious. So I'm cautioning people. I, I was really worried as I saw that. Like people are going to think that Discovery didn't do their homework. They absolutely did, and they're saying something here. Yeah. Um. Remember, if you're, I'm speaking to the hardcore trekker here, and I'm going to go back and forth. Worf has been in this time that we've seen in uh, Deep Space Nine. He comes to the 23rd century, and he is deeply uncomfortable being around Klingons from the 23rd century mm. for some reason. And when Jadzia, who is also has ties to this era in time, in fact, Jadzia's alive at this time. I don't think we'll see her. But like she she so she she understands this time period better than other people and a lot of people don't. It's a tough period I understand. It's very complicated. When she tries to pry wharf about what's going on with him, he says it is not something we speak about with outsiders. Ooh, that's interesting. So I, I absolutely believe that you're right. Mm-hmm. Whatever is going on here is a deeply challenging moment in Klingon history. Yeah. So Sam and I were I guess um, <coughs> when we watch the show, we're always very tempted. Like when we're watching Game of Thrones, for instance, we've both read the books. We're both very ingrained in what is canon and what is not, right? Like all these things. Mm-hmm. And so when something happens, we'll give each other a look of, <gasps> or whatever, you know, and then we'll go back to watching the show. And that's the extent of what we speak about when we are watching television at all. And with um, with this particular episode, there were only, what, like one or two times where I was like, pause. <laughs> yeah. And one was I needed to figure out Michael's origin story before it was explained to us. Yeah. Because I had a theory on it. And then I, I could kind of tell that you had a theory yeah. on it. And to no to surprise of no one, those are not the same theories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was wrong. I was grasping at something that has been on the fringe of canon and wasn't fully canonized here. It's always been kind of stinted at and suggested. Uh-huh. And, and it wasn't. And that's that's great. I, I love what her origin story um, is. And, and and I can't wait to explore it more. Yeah. What do you think about being a strong POV thing with us being stro- strongly placed in someone's head for kind of the first time exploring Trek? I really loved it. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that I liked about this particular Trek is that it is um, it's sticking to a singular story mm-hmm. so far. And I'm interested to see kind of what happens in the following episodes. Um, I, I probably will not do any reading about it or anything like that. I'm sure that, Sam, you are going to just find all the things on all the internet. Uh-huh. And, um, and, and you had known some things about the origins and why they chose to do certain things before. And you had wanted to tell me dur- when, during a watch. And I was like, no, 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 no. I don't want to know. Oh, actually, I don't even think you said the movie I was going to try to point to. But um, I just knew from early on images that they had shown that when she is in the spacesuit... Mm. They're kind of deliberately calling back to, or at least they had with the press. I don't even know if it was in the intention of the show writing. Uh, I think that it was because it, it, it really felt it. Um, to Spock getting out in the in his spacesuit in Star Trek: The Motion Picture and kind of going out into the unknown oh, okay. in sort of the same way. Her spacesuit that she does that it's a beautiful scene by the way mm-hmm. looks very similar to Spock's there too. Yeah. And I had heard Star Trek nerds poo poo. Like, Spock's is Bonks, and Spock's doesn't have this display. He can't talk to his computer, blah, blah, blah. That is never a conflict for trauma for me. The original series is a play. 
And mm-hmm. uh, the what you're always asked to do, you're asked to do if you're watching it in the 60s or in the 80s when Star Trek, the Mo- or um, 1970, excuse me, when Star Trek the Motion Picture came in theaters, or today, you're asked to imagine it with a suspension of disbelief. Like, this is a placeholder thing. We wanted to depict a little bit more. We couldn't because of reasons. And you were invited to use your imagination mm-hmm. to fill in the blanks. For sure. And that's always the way that's depicted. So people who are poo-pooing, were pooing the spacesuit don't fucking get that. But anyways, <laughs> I don't mean to be aggressive. Everyone's trying to, whatever it is to you, that, that's awesome. I think they're deliberately calling back to that. And there's a couple of moments where there's this huge visual fidelity to what they're calling to. Mm-hmm. There's so many things that, that lines that place them in the timeline without feeling nerdish and off-putting. Uh, like, like there's gatekeepers in between you for the for the person who's discovering it for the first time. She talks about general orders rather than the prime directive, which mm-hmm. is the the language of the original series. They mentioned phase cannons with lasers, which goes way back in time. There's that that spacesuit, the phasers look, look original series. It was just for sure. Nicole Myers, I noticed. Um, I'm sorry, if I'm saying her name wrong, but uh, the actress who plays Ohura, I noticed, was the top consulting producer. She had an extremely close relationship between Roddenberry and shared a sort of vision of the future. So I like that that is the the person who was there from the beginning in the '60s, who's one of the top consulting producers for the time. That's very cool. I love that. Um, so let me ask you some questions. Yes. Um, what did you think? Now I had okay, so I have a strong reaction to like weird makeup choices in okay. television. Um, what did you think of Lieutenant Saru? I liked him. I at first he was a little funny, but he's supposed to be a little funny because it's mm-hmm. kind of a foil to you're you're really strongly in someone's head who's who's such a first officer, such a put me into the game coach all yeah. the time, and he is the wet blanket kind of on that. So. You, 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 he, he, he's kind of built as an antagonist. So he, he reads you funny at first. I liked him. I liked how lanky and kind of like his shoulders were sort yes. of up and behind. And he looked kind of over, almost like emaciated in certain places that looked, that looked, that felt weird and looked cool. I think Doug Jones, the actor who did him, did a, did a great job. Has a perfect kind of face to play mm-hmm. him for some reason. For sure, I enjoyed. Um, I enjoyed his voice a lot. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that I think that they're taking special care to do in the in the new series, right, is they are picking people who I think deliberately have very good voices. I yes. don't think that that is something that has been. Uh, given a lot of attention to in prior episodes. I'm sure that, you know, anyone that's ever cast for Star Trek would be like, you fucking idiot. Of course we've always done that, you Uh know? But to me, there have always been voices like, wow, how did you get into television? Yeah. And I won't say who, because some of these people are still alive. And, you know, I I know they're all listening to this show. They they do. They love me. You would not (laughs) like Star Trek the Animated Series. Mm, I have listened to it. I don't like it. Uh, To be fair, (laughs) a a hope and a prayer, a dime and a shoestring, (laughs) and like a box of crayons. And they said, go create your legacy if you want to. Whatever. You have five seconds before the (laughs) camera points at you. And they did the best of what they had. But yeah. like craft the the craft of television that you that you appreciate and that it's fun to see is it would be would be very missing. But. Yeah, I think that so many characters in previous <coughs> series often sound similar to one another, yes. and I don't like that. I feel like everyone had their own voice, yeah. and it was really nice. I liked it a lot. One of the things that I loved was seeing the bridge and how oh, what gorgeous. happens with the force fields when it is hit. Yeah. Um, in 
any other series that I've watched, anytime the bridge is hit and sustains damage, it's the, you know, like everyone, oh, let's all sway to the right, now to the left, and like bouncing around. And they get very good at it. And it's very believable as any of the series kind of go along. But I loved that you saw the everyone lurching forward and then like lurching back and you and you know you're primed as a Star Trek watcher to be like oh the bridge is hit okay uh-huh. but then the camera pans over and to the where is the damage A-okay. is and there's like all that's between the people inside yeah. and the atmosphere outside are blue lines of force field yeah. and they're like yeah it's at 43% or something and you see um what is the captain's name Han I'm looking at the... Yeah, I think so. Han. You see Han's hair, and you see that she's just been decompressurized, sort of a thing. Yeah. And, like, the stress lines on her face, and you realize like, this perfectly... Because she's always, uh, always like, she's a very immaculate presentation in just presence and everything, and mm-hmm. that she, she's disrupted, is because the oxygens have been sucked away from, from that, and you, you kind of feel yes. that. Yes. It was very yeah. good. I loved it. I thought that was a really neat tech point that has that at least i have never seen Uh in a series i loved it i hope that they continue to spend the same amount of money on every episode that they spend on this first two i'm I'm a little bit scared Uh star trek does have a reputation for getting real cheap sometimes but i hope that there is sufficient appetite for the series that they will continue to give it the same kind of big budget. Star Trek is a five-decade enterprise and, and mm-hmm. continuing forever. It's a forever enterprise. I mean, to tie it to this this brief little beginning we have. We've only yeah. scratched the surface. But what it always has been, and you can see it, and you can feel it because it's so long, is theses and essays that kind of are presenting arguments mm-hmm. to the viewer, to the audience, and to the idea of television. Like, Gene Roddenberry is challenging television yeah. in it. And you can see that the essay is to the reader, to the, the time, to, to everything, to humanity in general, but then also to the networks. And I think that Star Trek from 2009 has been making a different sort of essay um, to networks and to television. Mm-hmm. And that is to fund Star Trek in a sort of different way, not as a legacy piece that's throwing a bone to the past, but as kind of a part of of the human experience and of storytelling that, that, that is worth telling right uh, and tying to that uh, an accessibility that comes with a sort of a budgeting. So I, I hope that it would continue. Well, and speaking of accessibility and kind of on a different uh, <coughs> stance there, but I think that one of the things that's going to get, or probably has already, and you can tell me if this is true or not, but one of the things that people are probably going to complain about is that this is a pay-to-watch type of thing, which has, for, for the most part, never really been a part of Trek. But... I I freaking loved it. I loved that there were no commercials. Uh-huh. I got to have that Netflix experience like I've enjoyed all of Trek, right? Uh-huh. Um, I didn't have any commercials that took me out of the era. So once I was watching it, I was in, in that future. century. I was in the future and never once did I get taken out of it. Because, you know, someone needed to sell me a cream or a car or a cell phone plan. And I freaking love that. Mm-hmm. And I will almost any time of any time of day or night pay a premium so that I don't have to get advertised to you. It you should know? be mentioned to the listener that a lot of people have been complaining about this particular incarnation. If you have the standard 
CBS, there is commercial interruption. Mm. We we did pay for the the premium service. I, sure. I don't know if you know that they had it without, but but that is nice and that is important because yeah. there's sort of immersion to it. I think that that's really you know leaping into the future. Yeah. Where if you do not want to pay that premium price, it is a okay, and you shouldn't be forced to pay that. But if you would like to have a commercial free experience, the option to do that with your own funds. Your, you know, with your own consent is very important. And I think it's very um, forward thinking of Trek, of CBS. Um, I like it. I think that, you know, the that Gene Roddenberry would be into that because it really embraces not where we've been, but where we're going. Television is changed. It is not the same thing that we were watching five years ago, 10 years ago. It is completely different. Like we have so many subscriptions for one show. Like we have an HBO subscription that is for Game of Thrones, Westworld, and the occasional John Oliver. Uh-huh. And that's it. Like our daughter uses it to watch Hairspray all the time. But like that's the future of television. And I really like that we got to experience Trek on our own terms. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. Absolutely. So anything else you want to talk about? So hit me up. Um, if you're kind of into a lot of extended canon of Star Trek and you want to talk about the origin of the Klingon, the sort of spirituality. By the way, wasn't it an interesting Star Trek for our time to have a charismatic yes. leader, a strongman leader who is kind of othering others and doing yeah. an us versus them statement and deliberately pacing the enemy of him, of that, not on, yes, on, on, on all kinds of things, but what he identifies as the, as the enemy isn't species, isn't color, isn't um, um, gender, isn't is it's the idea of kind of liberal democracy. An idea, right? Yeah. So that that is so so it's it, it's really fascinatingly a, a track for our time to kind yeah, of explore that psyche in such a believable way, and to get in the mind of the charismatic strong band. Um, um, us versus them leader. Well, and I think too that um, Lieutenant Saru had a really poignant line in the uh, I can't remember if it's the first the end of the first episode or the beginning of the second. But he has a, a line talking about the origin of his species and his people and how they were they were bred and they were raised to be hunted and so they understood what it meant to uh, to feel death coming. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was um, such an interesting point of view because so often in society we will, you know, say like, oh, well, that was then and this is now. And we don't give credence to the people, uh, the minorities. So whether it's, you know, groups that were very blatantly discriminated against or whether it's that the silent minorities and the invisible people that maybe we're not interacting with every day but I thought it was really interesting that we had um, a person that was you know in that point of view and able to express like hey this is my point of view this is my origin story and this is why you need to listen to me to a person in power and to see that idea get rejected was just like oh course you know uh-huh. you know even still you're still going to face these these battles so even in the future it's not completely won yet but um i really loved i really loved that that moment was expressed because i feel like it was kind of a a commentary on so much of what we see in society today. that was fascinating i'm so sorry for the mouse clicks but i have to suddenly follow a hunch okay 
Okay, so he is typing in Star Trek, the animated series. Oh, boy. I think that he was a species we've seen before on Trek, but I think he was one of those. Oh, okay. So what he... Oh, you know what? That makes sense because I've seen him in my Star Trek timelines. Um, You can buy these guys if you don't... (laughs) If you don't want to spend the time to do it or whatever. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out this guy's name. He's on the bridge. He's always a like kind of a conning officer. He looks like E.T. He looks like E.T. I'm so sorry. I'm going to come back with it. But I just kind of recalled that perhaps his species, and I'm going to uh, examine if this is true, is one that's been depicted in Star Trek before, um, like even a bridge of, a, of, of an Enterprise, because it looked like a new sh- uh, a new kind of species with him, but perhaps not. Yeah, I mean, perhaps it's just like the Klingons, and right now and they, they don't look anything like they've ever looked before. They made such a point, the broadcast, that they had read their history books, done their homework, and that they were speaking to the greater story of Trek Mm -hmm. in a way that sometimes the new Star Trek movies don't always do. Sure. The new Star Trek movies are... They're hit and miss They're they're popcorn flicks where, you know, you get to come in, have the action, and go home home feeling good. Right. And sometimes, like, in Beyond the new popcorn flicks, it it made a strong point Mm -hmm. to, like, establish itself in the chronology and to, to speak to it more. But then, like, Into Darkness was almost deliberately irreverent to it and being like you feel like we need to to read these 50 years fuck you you need to understand what an action flick is and you've forgotten that yeah. kind of a thing and and this film was very much on the establishing into it but like every species name was deliberate and purposeful when the klingons say what species it is they hate mm-hmm. there's like a hundred federation species but they say i think five and mm-hmm. they say a very purposeful five they say the five charter species of the federation mm-hmm. so the first five that came together and had the idea of interstellar cooperation and international law basically and he names them as the enemy because liberal democracy is the enemy. Sure. Um, it, that it's Endorians, it's Vulcans, it's Tellarites. We never see Tellarites. He says Tellarites, not because we're going to see that, but because he's talking about the foundation of the Federation is the enemy. Oh, that's interesting. I, see, it's one of the really <coughs> great things and why I really love being with you is that I would have enjoyed this particular version of Star Trek on my own had had I never met you. So... In the darkest timeline, obviously. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but one of the things that I really like about being with you is that I get exposed to little things like that. Because that's something I would not be looking up yeah. on Google I, because I don't spoil myself oh, yeah. for that. And so if the show does not deliberately point that out to me, I'm going to be like, okay, well, I'm fine with that. Because I strongly believe in trusting the creator, trusting the director, all the way through the season and then making the determination. You can tell in Trek when they have invited a new science fiction writer who perhaps is new to Trek and understands it as a concept mm-hmm. and wants to do something new, but like hasn't read Trek. You can feel it when, yeah. when someone isn't. And you, and you can feel it when someone kind of does. Or maybe even if they're new and they know it and they kind of establish it. This one established it so hard and so well in a very unobtrusive way. I know I'm saying that again and again, but I, I really appreciate being pandered to in the way that I was. Well, yeah, no. One of the things that I was wondering <coughs> as we were watching the show was um was like well i wonder if you know you what does it take to become a writer for star trek because it's something very different than what does it take to write the next it hit sitcom it's right changed over time yeah sure. and so i wonder for discovery what did it take did you i'm, I'm sure that it had to take someone that knew star trek lore right uh-huh. knew that canon but i think it also takes someone who wants to tell a different story you know like 
Star Trek is a tool that is always designed to be used for something. It mm-hmm. is not designed to sit on the self. Sure. Itself. It is designed to kind of speak stories and speak to its time and kind of to forever and, and to kind of say something with mm-hmm. it. So I'm sure that they're looking for a sort of ambitious sort of writer who wants to take this old mantle and not to have it look pretty and drive around the block and say all the old familiar things, but to make make statements with it and to, and to tell stories and write essays about human nature with mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. What did you think about the ship? Oh, it was gorgeous. Um, so the ship is, is very, very pretty. Uh, it is very, very deliberately causing, uh, calling back to the aesthetics of Star Trek Enterprise, which is Enterprise, This the show is not forsaking any part of Trek, and sometimes you'll go in Trek, and for a long time, animated series is sort of out. It's non-canonical. Gene Roddenberry is embarrassed by it. Nothing about it is, is referenced, and it's just purged uh, uh, um, from it. Uh, sometimes Enterprise is the black sheep because it, it came at a time when putting Star Trek on television wasn't profitable and it was pulled and they get kind of blamed for that and they made a couple of, of, of bad choices. Um, I, I, I like parts of the show, don't get me wrong, I'm not a hater. But the ship was very, very looked like an Enterprise ship and Enterprise is the era before the original series. Mm-hmm. So we're talking like the old, most prequel track that's ever been out there and it looks more like that ship than any other ship. So oh, we're that's t- cool. Tying it to the smart. past. Uh, it, it, it was very pretty. I, boy, boy, Veronica. Yeah. I'm sorry I'm so rambly. Did I fucking call it with, like, revisiting Trek, how it would actually work into interactive Oh, computer? yes. Oh, my God, did I call it? I called it hollow projection as being yeah. a, the way that you communicate with other people. Yeah. <laughs> Before it's, holograms, are they? <laughs> it's very interesting. Having played, I called Star how you talked to the you. computer in that yeah. time. I call. I, <laughs> it was very interesting. And I didn't. I didn't. I'm saying that I did. I didn't. I am a part of a greater conversation. Well, you were the only person that I know that has ever exposed me to the to conversations like the one that we're having. Uh-huh. Um, and what was so interesting is. Um, so our, our main point of view character is, uh, taken to the brig, right? Yes. And she is in a position where she's going to die. And so she needs to get out of there. And so, I mean, you're thinking like, of course she'll be able to get out of there. This is Star Trek. Of Uh course, you know, the only correct thing to do is to get that person out of there. Right. Uh Uh, She's not been convicted of anything. And so, um, so there is an ethical discussion between her uh, and the main b- computer between uh, Michael and the computer uh-huh. and I loved it and it was so interesting because I was watching your reaction out of the corner of my eyes and just beaming I mean <laughs> so happy because this is how Sam has depicted the computer relationship on the ship for uh-huh. such a long time and it was really interesting <laughs> when you were starting to conceptualize highly illogical and we were kind of throwing things back and forth and we would be on a drive and you'd be like well what do you think about this or whatever and we would just and sam and i both as creators we will do that with each other and just like you know throw something out there and see what the other thinks and i think that we're such good sounding boards for each other because we both play such different games so you know that throwing something at me from star trek if it's too out there, if it's too on the fringe, I am not going to understand. I'm not going to get it. And then there's not going to be that emotional connection for me. And then I understand also when I'm throwing some kind of a horror thing at you, you'll be able to tell me like, oh, well, I don't really remember that. And, you know, if I'm trying to connect to some weird part of my own canon, you'll be like, yeah, I don't remember that. Okay, great. Well, then that 
the average listener is probably not going to remember that either. So um, that's one of the things that I really like about you. But I remember specifically (coughs) when you were designing your computer AI and you were talking about it and I was just like, huh, in my mind, I was like, that's not really what happens in you know, the original series and, you know, like thinking that, but you were just like so confident that like, no, that's how it should be. Yeah. That's how they meant to. (coughs) There's a lot of, it's a play that you Mm -hmm. got in in watching the original series. (laughs) And that is the first time that you had explained it to me as the original series and all Star Trek is always a play. Uh. It's only using the resources that it has and it, and it trusts its viewer to, imagine the things that cannot be there uh-huh. whether that be for technological or economic restrictions yeah. um and that was the first time that i had ever heard that argument from you and I, and as a person that creates only audio i was just like oh oh okay that makes a lot of sense and so i love that the computer ai was very much on par with what you had uh, presented in highly logical yeah so i don't know that i've said too much about my experience crafting computer ais in the star trek world to people if you um listen to highly logical or listening to it there you know that i like to pretend to be a computer sometimes but i i worked <laughs> at um a space camp center in in utah called the krista mccullough space education center where they had all these computer simulators and they made them to be bridges of ships and they designed these kind of sometimes flash sometimes other things controls for them and there's voice changers that you'd have in the back room in the control room and you'd do star trek stories that you'd write and they'd be functional star trek stories they'd be con- uh, um, uh, ethical uh, contemplations on the time in, in sort of way but writing through star trek and you'd be the computer and you'd kind of after years and hundreds of hours of of kind of playing the computer and in the greater conversation of Star Trek, would get an idea for how that conversation and how it's such a it's such a constant companion in a way that isn't always depicted on film. It's not Spider Man's um, suit that he talks to. Right. There, exactly. It's more of an extension of you in some ways, but then also a, a, another entity. It is out there. well. It is a learning. Um, it is a learning being, and what you know, there's a big question, is it or is it not sentient, you uh-huh. know? And, yeah. and that's, any of my characters that I create for Star Trek are always very aware of, you know, what is the computer? Right. And, you know, sometimes the question shouldn't just be what is, but who is. Exactly. And so, um, so that's a really interesting And they even, like, we have so little screen time comparatively to this, to oh, other yeah. Treks, but we still get the suggestion of that idea mm-hmm. in this one, right? The, the computer thinks in a way that, almost should be outside of its programming for sure it's not supposed to let this person out of the, the brig and it's not supposed to think ethically in the situation mm-hmm. it's specifically in, in, inhibited from doing that it does think ethically with this person that follows along with their point of view as a person would if kind of being walked through that sort of a thing yeah yeah okay well anything um, else if anyone has played the star trek armada games uh hit me up i'm curious to hear your because they kind of depict klingon fanaticism in that game in an interesting way that this kind of drew shades of to me and there's a lot of writing there um that seemed interesting when they talk about the black fleet um in armada and in those series i know that they're tied to a lot of novels but I, my intro to this idea of klingon lore is from those game series uh they consider themselves the black fleet because they are dead already they have they are not among the names of the, li- the living they've already written their names as killed in action on oh, things on their planets and that defines their choices to, to to make the choices they need to to make their death count in this war type of a thing 
So mm. they have no intention of ever seeing their home world again, are specifically barred and would never as a matter of honor speak to their loved ones again because they are fucking dead. And they're going to see how many more souls they can take with them into the into the, the breach. Mm. So there's a kind of cleaning on fanatics of the Black Fleet depicted there in Armada. This kind of felt to kind of draw towards that same idea of fanaticism in this. Very good. Okay, so uh, if you like listening to these shows... Uh, this is simulcast on both podcasts, podcast, podcast, and highly illogical. And if you want to check us out there, you can find us at podcast, podcast on Twitter, or at illogical show for a lot highly illogical. And I'm at typical Veronica, and you can hit me up for all things about getting to know Trek. Not any trivia, because I'm no good at such things, but I can certainly point you in the direction of episodes that I really like. I love to contemplate um, what makes a person a person. I love um, I love delving into the depths of AI, so those will probably be my recommendations. Measure of a Man. Is Measure of, of a Man is very good. Favorites. Oh, yeah. Data is one of my strong favorites as far as characters. Mm-hmm. I was really hopeful that we would get to know the uh, the android. I wasn't sure w- what this was. When you say android, do you mean the gentleman with the guy? The yeah, with the, with the so I believe the <laughs> I believe, and we'll, we'll see if this bears out. A con officer, or con, not con, con's a different thing. A com officer mm-hmm. in original series era is always depicted with something on their head. Uhura. But we had the calm head. We had the calm person. So she's that's not the. Uhura. That's not the calm. Okay. The calm was the gentleman, I believe, that was kind of so he would be, um, northeast. Okay. Of um. Yeah. Of the captain's chair, and he did right. have a he did big have the same. Okay. Type thing so he it. had the Ahura. Yeah. So I don't this know what this different. what okay. this technology is. I like that if it is an android, it is nowhere close to what Data was. Right. Which Data is one of a kind, the only one of his kind that um, that we kind of encounter over and over in yeah. Trek, you know? Yeah. And is the standard for what good uh, a- and perfect AI is. Now, you in Trek, you don't augment yourself genetically or or through technology to to give yourself an advantage over your your peers your your self-betterment sort of ends at your your ability to kind of learn things no, normally um trekonomics has the most elegant articulate uh, yeah. mission statement for why because th- that's always been something I've, I've known and believed but haven't always filled in the why as beautifully as trekonomics trekonomics really has that down mm-hmm. and have the perverse incentives of when you do augment yourself and what kind of the psychological harm that could be on the you'd be oh tremendous pressure this guy just to show it like if you're a person in, in star trek you have a lot of pressure on you. Mm-hmm. Think of how hard Sarek was on on Michael. Anyways, oh, yeah. we're getting off into the weeds again. We're trying to sign off. There's so much to talk about. We're going to talk about all of it here with you. So stay tuned. Uh, love you very much. Uh, live long and prosper. And, From my contra to yours. And he's at Sam Brady. We've lit the beacon. The beacon has lit. <laughs> oh, no. That's not your Twitter handle. You're Creeptastic Sam. at Creeptastic Sam. Okay. We got to get out of here. Love you, guys. love you guys. Bye. Good night.